We're in this series that we've been calling um, Churches New Year's Resolutions, not because we uh, love New Year's resolutions, think they're amazing things, but just because there's some great challenges to us in, in living out our Christian faith in this chapter, rooted in the mercy of God. Uh, so we're going to read uh, this morning from verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Folks, do keep your Bibles open and let me pray for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it it doesn't always look like it to us, but you promise that if we taste and see, then we will find that your word is good and that it is sweeter than honey and more satisfying than treasure. So we ask you this morning, please open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word and open our hearts too that we would feel them and want to live them out. For our good and for your glory we pray. Amen. Well, the... Internet is an amazing resource, is it not? Um, I mean, how else could you do all your Christmas shopping without setting foot in a single shop and all while sat in the comfort of your own living room on your sofa in your pajamas? It's amazing. I love it. But I'm sure I don't need to convince you or make you aware that the internet has a darker side also. Uh, Like the rise of websites such as mastersofrevenge.com, or payback.com, which offers us revenge at its best. That's its claim. And it asks us, have you always wanted to tell someone something, but didn't know how to do it? Well, this is the perfect site for you. Payback.com is your home for all your revenge needs. So you never had the chance to get revenge on your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Your current spouse lied to you when he said he would never cheat on you. Well, you know the saying, don't get mad, get even. We stand ready to help you get revenge and let these individuals know exactly what you think of them. And their idea of help is to send dead flower arrangements through the post so that you can show that person how unspecial they are. As well as delivering melted chocolates, dead fish, fake parking tickets, and a whole lot more. 
Now, I mention this to you not because I, I want to recommend their services to you. No, 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 please, please. Forget I've even mentioned it. But I just want to point out that the very existence of such websites give us a hint how deeply ingrained in the human psyche is the idea of getting payback on those who've wronged us. It's been suggested that we now seem to have more lawyers than doctors because we are more interested in getting even than getting better. And I'm sure most, while most of us haven't contemplated uh, employing a lawyer to do that or even sending dead flowers through the post, most of us can think of somebody who makes us really angry. The very thought of them <laughs> makes us angry. And we really struggle when we think about the way they've treated us for that anger not to bubble up in us. And some of us have been wronged in very big and serious ways. And however we've been sinned against, the temptation to retaliate is strong. If we're honest, we'll admit that. Yet here comes Romans 12 verse 21, telling us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you hear last week, you'll remember that Ben walked us through six marks of real love. As Romans 12 verse 9 also tells us to let love be genuine. And here's another mark of real love, to love someone who's wronged us, even when they've hurt us, even if they're our enemy. Because the real thrust of these verses is towards being wronged by a non-Christian who don't like us living and speaking for Jesus, and so they act in opposition to that. But I think it also applies equally well to being wronged by fellow Christians, which, let's face it, can be so much more disappointing because we expect so much more from one another. But whatever the situation, the headline is clear, isn't it? Don't let evil win. That's what's at stake here, folks. That's what's at stake. It's that big. The word overcome in verse 21 is a military word that means to defeat or conquer. As there are actually only two possibilities, two routes we can go down when we're wronged. The first is that we either conquer and defeat evil by responding to it with good. Or we try to fight evil with evil and ultimately we lose the battle to evil. That's what happens. I mean, <laughs> what does happen when someone wrongs us so often? We hurt them back, don't we? We respond to unfair criticism with unfair criticism or to a bad employer by being a bad or reluctant employee, or to prejudice, by being prejudiced ourselves. And who wins in that situation? Who do you think? Don't say no one. Don't say that. No. Evil wins. We are being defeated by evil because we're being influenced by it and and drawn into its ways of working, aren't we? J.R. Tolkien, I think, gives a great picture of this in The Lord of the Rings. If you've ever 
read the books or seen the films, then you'll know there's this evil ring of power at the heart of the story. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them. And this ring must be destroyed. Because the temptation in the hearts of men is to use it to fight the evil Lord Sauron and to put him down. It's an overpowering temptation. But it must be resisted because if you use this ring, then evil gets a grip on you. And ultimately, in the end, you become just as evil as Sauron in the process. And folks, evil wins, doesn't it? When we continue to nourish a low-level anger in our hearts against someone who's wronged us. And evil wins when we let ourselves become so bitter that we are open to temptation to do things we wouldn't really want to do, like be dishonest towards them. And evil wins when, as we go after our pound of flesh from them, when we want to take a chunk out of them so badly that we become petty and mean-spirited to the point that it's them that feels justified. And they become even more stuck in their sin. And so God says to us here in Romans 12, the only way, the only way to defeat evil is by going the way of Jesus and doing good to the one who's caused us pain. I mean, Jesus faced unbearable, unbelievable opposition, didn't he? But he never lashed out. He never kept back in either word or deed. And when we go his way, we open up the possibility of two really positive results. Firstly, the spread of evil is checked in us. The, the bitterness is drawn from our hearts. And secondly, the spread of evil may be checked also in the one who has wronged us. Paul says in verse 20, doesn't he, that our evil deeds and words heap burning coals on their head, which is a way of saying that we should do good to them in order to rub their noses in it. No. It's a Bible way of saying that our generosity of spirit and our kindness of deed to, to them may rebuke them and bring them to their senses and cause them to turn from their sin and back to God and repent. Let me give you an example of this from the life of Tom Skinner. Uh, Tom Skinner, you, you probably haven't heard of him. He was an Afro-African-American evangelist uh, who came to faith having been basically brought up on the streets of New York, uh, taking all the hard knocks of life. And in his autobiography, he tells a story about playing American football a few weeks after his conversion. And, um, and during the game, he blocked another kid out of play on the sidelines. And as he got up from the tackle and, and uh, went back to join his team's huddle, this kid <laughs> got up from the sidelines and was absolutely furious, so much so that he just smashed him in the stomach. And Tom bent over from the blow, and as he did so, this, this guy hacked him on the back, and he fell down in a heap on the floor, and so the guy hit, kicked him, and looked down at him and said, you dirty black beep, 
I'll teach you a thing or two. Now, the old Tom, before he became a Christian, would have got up in a flash and pulverized that white boy. But he says, he writes, he didn't. He got up from the ground and he said to him, you know, because of Jesus Christ, I love you anyway. And the, and the white kid took off his helmet and he threw it to the ground and he walked off the field and he couldn't play for the rest of the game. And after the game, Tom sought him out in the locker room. And the kid said to him, Tom, you've done more to knock prejudice out of me by telling me that you loved me than you would have if you socked me in the jaw. Isn't that a great example of overcoming evil? Of not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good? But it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? I mean, you, like me, may still want, to, want the story to end with, with Tom socking that guy one. So how do we do this? Well, Romans 12 suggests five ways. Firstly, we pray for them, which may have you looking at your Bible thinking, well, God, what does it say that in Romans 12? I, I know, not, not here. But what does verse 14 remind you of? Have a look at it. It has echoes of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, doesn't it? Where he told his disciples, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think Paul has that in mind here as he writes these words. And truly, above all, the best way to bless someone is, is not just to speak well of them, but to get down on our knees and pray for them. I mean, what happens when, when somebody wrongs us? What do, we want to do when, what do we want to do when we open our mouths? We want to curse them. But instead, the Bible says we are to open our mouths and call on the goodness and power of God to prosper them. And I tell you, when you start doing that, it becomes a lot harder to be angry with them, doesn't it? It's like a, a dam and a stream. It, it diverts the flow of your heart so that you, you stop willing them harm and start willing them good. And so secondly, we're also, I think, to feel for them or, or try to feel for them. As verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I have been so struck by the enormity of those verses this week. Uh, I mean, if like me, you've been a Christian for a while, you will, you will have heard those verses before. And, and you will have heard the exhortation to live them out to our brothers and sisters. And <laughs> that is hard enough, isn't it, in the church family? Like, if you're struggling to have a child and you hear someone announce their pregnancy, or, or if you're single and you hear someone announce their engagement, it's, it's really tough to rejoice with them in that. But, but we think there might just be a chance that our hearts could do that because they're part of our family. Or if there's someone mourning, it's not easy to find the right words to come alongside them in their grief, is it? But we'll give it a go if they're our brother and sister in Christ. 
But how much more difficult is that to do that if there are enemy? For those who've wronged us, our natural partners to feel smug and self-satisfied when they have cause to weep. And to, to feel cheated and disappointed if they have something to rejoice over. But God says, no. No, if you want to go the way of Jesus, it's the other way around. Even for your enemies. And then thirdly, we're called to forgive them. Because it's impossible to, to do verse 17, to repay no one, no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable. If we hold on to our anger and bitterness by refusing to cancel the debt. And of course, the best model for forgiveness is the Lord God himself. And in Psalm 103, God's forgiveness is described like this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. So forgiveness means not treating the other person on the basis of their sin against us. And that will affect how we think about them. It means we won't demonize them in our minds. Like, how many times have you had a, a, a conversation in your mind? You've, you've replayed the action from a, a, a disagreement or an encounter with that person who's, who's wronged you. And, and you are always the hero, and they're always totally the villain. Or is that just me that does that? But this will also expect how we talk about them too. It means we won't demonize them to others. But forgiving doesn't necessarily mean forgetting or minimizing what they've done. And it won't always result in us feeling any different about them. Yet it will mean, fourthly, we don't avoid them. As verse 16 tells us to live in harmony with one another. And verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully, peaceably with all. Which obviously implies that it doesn't all depend on you. Which is why sometimes all that you will be able to achieve is to forgive them in your heart and mind, which some call positional forgiveness towards the other person. But you can't force the other person to, to apologize and, and repent, can you? You can't force them to do anything that will make some kind of relationship be possible to re be restored. And we should not feel guilty or a false sense of responsibility if that sadly is the case. And of course, it must be said there are degrees of hostility. So there are some people, some enemies who are so dangerous that to have anything to do with them will be inviting them to sin and potentially putting ourselves and others in danger. And so the best thing to do in that situation is to get away from them and stay away from them. But in most cases, we should still step towards the other person in love and make the effort to reconcile. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or as Jesus put it, blessed are the peacemakers. 
it would be so easy to say, wouldn't it? I, I've forgiven them, but I don't want to have anything to do with them. It's too much bother. Yet that can actually be a form of retaliation when we think about it, can't it? Of hurting someone by withdrawing your attention and affection. Fifthly, we need to do all of this humbly. As verse 16 says, we should do it without pride or conceit. Let's face it, some forgiveness, (laughs) we might be tempted to do it as a way of taking the moral high ground or to, to show some kind of, to make ourselves spiritually superior to the other person. But that isn't real forgiveness at all, is it? So we check our pride at the door and we humble ourselves. And when we do what Jesus once again tells us to do, check the plank in our own eye before we go after the speck in someone else's. Okay, you say, but hold on, hold on. Ken, what about justice? I mean, isn't this all going to just let the wrongdoer off the hook? Well, that's a great question. For Well, I'm sure we all know that retaliation is wrong. It actually springs from something that is deeply right, namely our sense of justice. I can remember hearing an interview with a, a mother whose son had been killed by the IRA. And the man was let out of prison after only five years under the Good Friday Agreement. And she said simply this, we thought our son was worth more than that. And we get that, don't we? Maybe you feel like she did as I say that. That sense of wanting the killer to be punished in a way that was proportionate to the crime. And and publicly upholds what is right, the preciousness of life. And that sense of justice reflects God's sense of justice. And the fact that we are made in his image to be just trouble is our sense of justice is always skewed by our sinfulness, isn't it? So when we take justice into our own hands, we usually tend to just add to the problem. As someone once put it, revenge generally takes a little right and turns it into a great wrong. Which is why in the Bible, justice is usually taken out of our hands and placed into God's. As Romans 12 also tells us in verse 19 to leave justice to God. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now you might think, ah, oh, now this is more like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave it to God. God will let them have it. He'll give it to them. But the moment you think that, You've denied the entire spirit of the instruction. You're avenging them in your mind. And we must never desire the harm of the other person. Never. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront sin and call it out. If we look back to verse 9 we looked at last week, that reminds us that we are not loving wisely or truly when we enable someone to go on sinning against us. No, we hold fast to what is good when we tell the wrongdoer in love what they've done wrong. That's telling the truth. And we may need to take someone with us 
when we go to do that, because that can be hard to do. And it might be that it might also be necessary to go to the law or to the appropriate authorities. But we confront for the sake, for their sake, for others' sake, and for God's sake, not to win an argument or for some sense of psychological payback on our part. Our job is to pursue what we can, but rest in the knowledge that only God is just and good and kind and fair. And in the end, he will square every account and make every wrong right. I think Rachel Den Hollander gives us a great example of how to do this. Uh, You might not remember the name, but she was the first woman to publicly accuse Larry Nassar, the US gymnastics team doctor of sexual assault in 2018, which broke through a wall of denial and led to hundreds of other women coming forward with their own stories of assault and abuse at the hands of Nassar. Now, Rachel is a Christian, and so she wrestled really hard with these issues of forgiveness and justice and retribution. So that by the time she got to court to publicly face up to her abuser, incredibly, without a hint of spite, she looked him in the eye and she said this, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of your guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Isn't that staggering? (laughs) Maybe it makes you think, I could never do that. How on earth did she find the strength and courage to do it? Answer? I'm sure it wasn't easy for a minute. But it's only Jesus that can empower us to fight evil with good and leave ultimate justice to God. I mean, isn't that where we started this whole series four weeks ago? We can only do any of these things that Romans 12 calls us to in view of gazing at verse 1, God's mercy. After all, if we leave ultimate justice to God, what does he do with it? In Jesus Christ, he comes and he takes the penalty of justice himself. Vengeance is mine, he says, That is not only a promise that one day he will bring justice on evil to us, but a declaration that the wrath that should have come on us came on him. The vengeance due to us literally became his. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you want a heart for forgiveness? Do you want a heart that doesn't feel superior and is always trying to justify itself? Do you want a heart that overcomes evil with good? Then look at Jesus. The punishment 
that you should have received. He received it. Vengeance was his. Folks, no one learns love by trying. We cannot conjure this up from within ourselves. Before love is something that we give, it is something that we must receive from God. You learn to love first by experiencing his love in Christ. And then we are in a position to offer it to others. And so we will only be patient and forgiving if we see someone, we see Jesus on the cross, saving us through the costliest patience and forgiveness. And we will only keep on doing loving deeds even when we don't feel that loving if we look at Jesus on the cross. I mean, how did he feel as he took the steps towards the cross? Take this cup from me, Father. And what did he decide? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And here is what he said on the cross. Father, forgive them. And that can change you. And that is what will change you and give you the love and the strength and the courage to love others, even if they've wronged you. If we let him. So let's pray. Let's pray together for that love and that strength and that courage. Um, I find this so challenging this week. I, I, I don't know how it's been for you to hear it. Um, so it would be good to give good time to think about who we might need to move towards in love in this way and how. Let's take some time to pray, asking the Lord to, to show us how this might work out in our lives this week.